person and be in your presence together, Almighty Father. We just want to give you glory and honor for this day, for all that you've provided for us for this past week. I know we just celebrated Thanksgiving, but I believe, Lord, every day is a day of thanksgiving to you as we meditate on all your blessings for both this life and the life yet to come, for you've promised us eternal life through your son, Yeshua. You've given us a token of your Ruach, the spirit who dwells within us, who leads us into all your truth, almighty God. And it appears that the world is now changing what the meaning of what true is. But Lord, we are a people of your book, the people of your Bible, and we walk by your discernment as your Ruach leads us. Now as we turn to your word, Almighty Father, may your word give us life, give us discernment and wisdom and knowledge. We ask this in Yeshua's name, amen. Turn with me now to the book of Yaakov, which in most Bible translations, it's the book of James. Chapter 1, the letter from Yaakov to the 12 tribes of the Distaborah, chapter 1. From Yaakov, a slave of God, and of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, to the 12 tribes in the Distaborah, shalom. Regard it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations. For you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Now if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in trust, doubting nothing. For the doubter is like a wave in the sea, being tossed and driven by the wind. Indeed, that person should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is a double-minded, unstable in all his ways." Let the brother in humble circumstances boast about his high position. But let the rich brother boast about being humbled. Since like a wildflower, he will pass away. For just as the sun rises with the sharav and dries up the plant so that it flower, fails and it falls off, its beauty is destroyed so too is the rich person going about his business will wither away. How blessed is the man who perceives, perseveres through temptation. For after he has passed the test, he will receive his crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. No one being tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and God himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is being tempted 
whenever he is being dragged off and enticed by the bait of his own desire. Then having conceived, the desire brings forth the birth of sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't delude yourselves, my dear brothers. Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Father, who made the heavenly lights? With him there is no variation, no darkness caused by turning. Having made his decision, he gave birth to us through a word that can be relied upon in order that we should be kind, the kind of first fruits of all that he created. Therefore, my dear brothers, let every person be quick to listen, but slow to speak, slow to get angry, for a person's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So rid yourselves of all vulgarity and obvious evil and receive meekly the word implanted in you that can save your lives. Don't deceive yourselves by only hearing what the word says, but do it. For whoever hears the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, who looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But if a person looks closely into the perfect Torah, which gives freedom and continues becoming not forgetful here, but a doer of the work it requires, then he will be blessed in what he does. Anyone who thinks he is religiously observant, but does not control his tongue is deceiving himself and his observance counts for nothing. The religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. There's a lot in that first chapter. As Yaakov is writing to those who were part of the diaspora of the 12 tribes of Israel, He wanted them to be focused on the things of the Lord and not their circumstances. And so let's address verse number one more deeply. Yaakov was not only a slave of the Lord Yeshua, but he was also his brother, as well as a leader of the Messianic community. How do we know this? Let us turn to Matthew chapter uh, 13. Matthew chapter 13, and beginning at verse number 53. Yeshua is speaking about the parables here. And when Yeshua had finished these parables and he left, he went to his hometown, and there he taught them in their synagogue in the way that astounded them, so that they asked, where do the, does this man's wisdom and miracles come from? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Miriam and his brothers Yaakov, Yosef, Shimon, and Yehuda? 
and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all this? And they took offense at him. But Yeshua said to them, the only place people don't respect a prophet is in his own hometown and in his own house. And he did few miracles there because of their lack of trust. John chapter 7, verse, verse 3. John chapter 7 and verse 3. After this, Yeshua traveled around Galil, intentionally avoiding Yehuda, Judah, because the Judeans were out to kill him. But the festival of Sukkot in Yehuda was near. So his brother said to him, leave here and go into Yehuda so that your Talmudin can see miracles you do. For no one who wants to become known acts in secret. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. But his brothers spoke this way because they did not put their trust in him. And Yeshua said to them, my time has not yet come. But for you, any time is right. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I'm telling them how wicked their ways are. You go up on the festival. As for me, I am not going up to the festival right now because the right time for me has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed on in Galil. And so we see here that Yaakov did not truly believe in his brother as being the promised Messiah. He came later to faith that Yeshua was the Messiah. And I believe that the proof of this we can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. After Yeshua rose from the dead, it was undeniable proof to Yaakov that Yeshua was the promised Messiah. We'll begin at verse number 12 of 15. But it has been, been proclaimed that Messiah has been both raised from the dead... How is it some of you are saying that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then the, the Messiah has not been raised. And if the Messiah has not been raised, then we have proclaimed what we have proclaimed is in vain. Also, your trust is in vain. Furthermore, we are shown up to be false witnesses for God and having testified that God has raised up Messiah whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Messiah has not been raised either. And if Messiah has not been raised, your trust is useless. You are still in your sins. And also, if this is the case, those who have died in union with Messiah are now lost. If it is only for this life that we have put our hope in the Messiah... We are more pitiful than any, than any other one. And so this speaks to, but the fact that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've died. For since death came through one man and also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as in connection with Adam, all die. So in connection with Messiah, we'll all be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits, then those who are being who belong to Messiah at the time of his coming.
Then at the accumulation, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after putting an end to every rulership, yes, every authority and power, for he has to rule until he puts his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be done away will be death, for he will put it in, everything into his subjection under his feet. And so with this, it was undeniable to Yaakov that his brother was the true Messiah. But later we see that apparently Kepha, Peter, had already turned over the, the leadership of the Messianic community in uh, Jerusalem. And so with this, we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the emissaries in Jerusalem had heard that Sharom had received the word of God, they sent them Kepha and Yohanan, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Ruach HaKodesh. For until then, he had not yet come upon any of them, and they had not been immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then as Kepha and Yohanan placed their hands upon them, they received the Ruach HaKodesh. And so we see here that they were sent out, and the person that sent them out was Yaakov, Yeshua's older brother. We continue here in the next chapter, verse 9, verse 32. And it continues through chapter 11, verse 18, but I won't read that whole portion for us today. So we're in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. As Kepha traveled around the countryside, he came down to the believers in Lud. And there he found a man named Aeneas, who had been laying bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. And Kepha said to him, Aeneas, Yeshua the Messiah is healing you. Get up and make your bed. Everyone living in Lud and the Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, in Yafo, there was a Talmudia named Tavita, which means gazelle, and she was always doing good deeds. It happened that just at that time, she took sick and died. And after washing her, they laid her in the room upstairs. Lud is near Yofo, Yafo. And the Talmudin had heard that Kepha was there. So they sent two men and urged him, please come to us without delay. And Kepha got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they led him to the upstairs room and all the widows stood by him, sobbing and showing all the dresses and the coats that Tavita had made while they were still with them. But Kepha put them all outside, kneeled down and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tavita, get up. She opened her eyes and on seeing Kepha, she sat up and offered her hand to his and helped her to her feet. Then calling to the believers, the widows, he presented her to them alive. This came known to all over Yafo, and many people put their trust in the Lord. Kepha stayed on in Yafo for some time with a man named Shimon, the leather tanner. And it continues through chapter 8, uh, excuse me, through chapter eleven eighteen. but we won't read that whole portion of scripture here. And so with this, we see that 
Kepha, who at one time was the main leader in the Yerushalayim Messianic community, was passing the baton because he was being sent out by Yaakov to the work of evangelism, preaching, teaching, and healing. Now let us focus now on the 12 tribes. These 12 tribes refers to the Jews as not merely a metaphor for Christians as some Christian commentators maintain. This is not like speaking about the seven churches in Revelation, but these are specific 12 tribes of Israel. And a number of them had come to know Messiah. And that's who Yaakov is addressing in this letter directly. So this is a clear now from the style of the letter is generally and particularly from the fact that they already had synagogues. And how do we know this? If we look at the book of Yaakov, chapter 2 and verse 2, he addresses this. In verse 1, let's begin in chapter 2. My brothers, practice the faith of the Lord Yeshua the glorious Messiah, without showing favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your synagogue. Did you hear that? He did not say, if a man comes to your Christian church. He says these words to your synagogue. Wearing gold rings and fancy clothes, and also a poor man who comes dressed in rags. If you show more respect to the man wearing the fancy clothes and say to him, have this good seat here, while to the poor man you say, you stand over there, or sit down on the floor at my feet. Then you aren't creating, then you are, aren't creating distinctions among yourselves. And haven't you made yourselves into judges with evil motives? Listen, my dear brothers, hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to receive the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you despise the poor. Aren't the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name of him whom you belong? If you truly attain the goal of the kingdom of the Torah in conformity with the passage that says, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, your actions constitute sin since you are convicted under the Torah as transgressors. So he's calling them out as Messianic Jewish believers in their synagogues to treat everyone with love and respect. So continuing here. So the book of Yaakov or James was not written to exclude Gentile believers from reading it. But the leader of the Messianic Jewish community in Jerusalem here, Yaakov, is addressing his fellow Jewish believers in the diaspora who are outside of Israel. Let us now turn to the book of John, chapter 7, verse 35. John 7 and 35.
the Judeans, and when it says the Judeans here, it's speaking of not just all Jews, but the Jewish leaders, said to themselves, where is this man about to go that we cannot find him? Does he intend to go to the Greek diaspora and teach the Greek-speaking Jews? So that's speaking directly and giving us context that this is not just an opinion of someone, but this is really true. And also, let's now turn to the first Kepha or first Peter, chapter one, verse one. From Kepha, Peter, an emissary of Yeshua the Messiah, to God's chosen people, living as aliens in the diaspora, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, in the province of Asia and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obeying Yeshua the Messiah and for the sprinkling of his blood. Grace and shalom be yours in full measure. And so he's speaking here also to these Jews that are part of the diaspora here. So there's two portions of proof of the context of who Yaakov is addressing. And so with this, in this citation from the Greek word, what it means of diaspora, which means to be dispersed, it appears in the Hebrew transliteration. And possibly Yaakov is now writing to Messianic Jews who knew him personally in Jerusalem. But more likely that these are Jews who are already living in the diaspora. When they came to faith, from Yaakov's words carried his authority as Lord Yeshua's brother and leader of the, Jew, the Jewish community. And so with this, literally God's elect ones, meaning Israel, living as aliens in the diaspora. That means dispersed from the land of Israel. So the Greek word diaspora refers to the entire territory which was once conquered by Alexander the Great. Now we look at the word shalom. This word shalom has not just peace, but it also means tranquility. It means safety and well-being, welfare and health, contentment and success, comfort, wholeness, and integrity. Shalom alechem, a traditional greeting, means peace be upon you and is a common greeting as simply as being as shalom. So, chapter 1, verse 1. From Yaakov, the slave of God, of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, to the 12 tribes of the diaspora, shalom. Regard it now as all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations or trials, for you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work so that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. So regarding these temptations, our testings, being buffeted about even by family members. Remember the time when you first came to faith and put your trust in a personal relationship with Yeshua Jesus? And all of a sudden, your conduct changed. Your language 
around your family begin to change. Maybe you set aside certain words, words of profanity, or maybe you would say those words and then immediately apologize. And then your family members start looking at you kind of sideways like, this is what we do. And so you face testings and trials maybe at work. Maybe you were, became a believer on a certain day and you come to work and then your boss and your coworkers notice there's been a change. What's happened to you? Uh, when certain things come and I mean, I remember when the boss came and he kind of laid into you, you would go toe to toe, eyeball to eyeball, and you would just let him have it back. But now I notice there's a, a change. What's happened to you? So as we go through these perseverance of being tests and trials, the Lord gives us the victory. Because now we have an inner voice speaking to us. And what is that inner voice? It's not necessarily our conscience. It is the spirit of the living God. So the things that we did habitually before, all of a sudden... We sense that there's something wrong about habitually saying or doing those things yet again. And that's a process that the Ruach has been doing in our lives. Many of us believe, well, once you pray that sinner's prayer and you've maybe gone to maybe a year or two of Bible study, sat underneath someone's preaching, well, I've, I've completed the sanctification process. That's not true. I believe as long as we live on this earth, in these corruptible bodies, these corruptible bodies and minds have to go through a sanctification process so that we produce the works in Messiah, not in our flesh, but the works that are pleasing in the Father's sight. And we're instructed not by our own selves or by someone outside of us, but the Ruach, the Spirit of the living God, is leading us into all truth and asks us to do certain things. Have you ever been woken up in a sleep and all of a sudden the Lord gives you a burden upon your heart? And sometimes he'll show you a picture in your mind of an individual and then you may not hear the word pray, pray or prayer, but suddenly you begin to pray and intercede for that person. Those are times when the Spirit is expressing himself in and through you. And have you been at any time at a loss for words, what to say next? Because this is brand new to you, or maybe it's very unfamiliar, or you're just exhausted and tired. But if you'll yield to the Spirit, the living God, he gives you the words and the strength so that we're able to produce what the Lord desires for us to do. And so Yaakov is kind of sharing these things with them. He's asking them to be honoring to those who are poor around them and not be like the world. Don't judge as the world does, but allow the spirit of the living God to give you discernment, wisdom, and insight. And so now let us focus now regarding temptations or testings. And so all of a sudden, maybe you're at work, and you're up for a promotion, and there's two or three candidates, but you're not chosen. 
how was your demeanor? Do you congratulate that person? Because you know what? You really believe, hey, I had better work skills than this person, but they were chosen over me. Is there anger? Is there jealousy that creeps into our hearts? Or do you look at this as, well, Lord, this is something I really desired, but I didn't receive. And that's okay. Because I'm going to allow, I'm going to congratulate this person. I'm going to let another part of my own flesh, fleshly desires here die in this situation. That's a mark of maturity. And so we should count it all joy as the Lord allows testings and trials upon our lives. Why? Because it produces in us perseverance. When you're beside yourself, when you're angry, and you go away from everyone, and you have a heart-to-heart with the Lord, and the Lord starts speaking to your heart, and he starts transforming your heart and your mind, and you begin to grow as you persevere through these times of trials and tests. So in verses 1 through 12, in this first section of this letter, is about being tested for toughness. I heard a preacher many, many years ago say, those who follow the Lord need to realize this. He's asking you to crucify your flesh, to take up your execution stake, and to follow him, the Lord. He said that is not a place for those who want to wimp out on a situation. He said this, are you willing to lay down your life upon the altar daily for the Lord's service? That's what a true Talmudim, a true disciple is to do daily. Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to sacrifice all and suffer as much as the Lord allows us to suffer in this world so it can produce the character and likeness and Messiah in our lives. And so Yaakov calls God's people into training regime, trials of many kinds. To consider it pure joy means to appraise one situation intelligently, and confident of the good that God can do through it. Yeshua demonstrated this in his own life. How do we know this? Let's now turn to Messianic Jews, Hebrews. We're really, we're right next door here. We're really close. We'll be looking at chapter 12 and only verse number 2. And I'll start in verse 1. So then, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us too put aside every impediment. That is, the sin which easily hampers our forward movement. Question, are we doing this daily? Next. And keep running with endurance. See, that's action there running with endurance in the contest set before us. 
looking away to the initiator and completer of that trusting, Yeshua, who in exchange for obtaining the joy set before him, endured the execution on the stake as a criminal, scorning the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Yes, think about him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you won't get tired or be, become despondent. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in the contest against sin. Also, you have forgotten the counsel which speaks with you as sons. My son, don't despise the discipline of Adonai or become despondent when he corrects you. For Adonai, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he whips everyone he accepts as his son. Or is that taken from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12? So consider the joy of the Lord. That one day when you're in his presence and you're at the Bema seat judgment and you hear these words directly from the Lord. You have done well, my good and faithful servant. Now enter now into your reward. See, the time and the testing, the sanctification process that we must endure upon this earth is on this earth. It's not up in heaven, but it's here on earth. As we're being transformed into the image and likeness of Yeshua's son. Continuing here. Yeshua, he's our example. The trials and tests that God allows strengthens us as believers and are different from the consequences of sins of a believer's life. How many times have you and I been shocked when a, one of our fellow believers is suddenly arrested for a hidden sin, which is a crime? And the Lord has spoken to this individual for years upon years to repent from that sin. And with them not repenting from that sin, the Lord uses the world. He loses the police to come and arrest other believers who've been committing these secret sins. Because the Lord says that the things that we commit in secret he will announce on the housetops because God does not tolerate sin in our lives. And if we will not humble ourselves before the spirit of the living God when he speaks to us about these hidden sins in our lives, then one day the whole world will see and we will be exposed. Because ultimately the Lord wants to discipline us, his sons and daughters so that we'll show true fruits of repentance and be reconciled unto God. Because there are people who are watching our lives daily. And it's amazing 
as a believer for over 50 some years now, how many times I've witnessed and you've witnessed men and women who appeared to be very, very godly men and women who had secret sins in their lives and the Lord allowed them to be exposed and the world broadcasted all over. We have to take sins serious. So continuing here. Now let us look to Matthew chapter 15 verse 5. To turn around a nation, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at uh, verse uh, number 10 and 12. Yeah, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And this is speaking about facing trials and tests that the Lord allows in our lives. How blessed are those who are persecuted because they pursue righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How blessed are you when men... Or people insult you and persecute you and tell kinds of various lies about you because you follow me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. And continuing here. In Acts chapter 5 verse 41. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The emissaries left the Sanhedrin overjoyed at having been considered worthy of suffering disgrace on an account of him who's the him but Yeshua. And not for a single day, either in the temple court or in their private homes, did they stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Yeshua was the Messiah. And what happened in this portion here? They were brought in and they were flogged. And then they were released. And they kept proclaiming the good news, even in the midst of persecution. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And that's why as our nation changes, and as believers are seen as enemies of the state, Notice this, nothing's changed. In the Roman Empire, true believers in Messiah were persecuted and hunted. They were mistreated. There was much slander against them. We're living the latter days, but we're not to fear. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. Therefore, my dear friends, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that can defile either the body or the spirit and strive completely, wholly, out of reverence for God. Make room in your hearts. We haven't wronged anyone. We haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't exploited anyone. I wish these modern day uh, uh, TV evangelists would read these words. I'm not saying this to put blame on you, 
For I have already said that you have a place in our hearts, whether we live together or die together, that I'm very confident in you, that I'm very proud of you, that you have filled me with encouragement, that in spite of all our troubles, I am overflowing with joy. Who wrote those words? Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul. Now let us turn to 1 Kepha, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 5. Rav Shaul wrote, I desire to know Messiah in his sufferings. 1 Kepha, chapter 1, verse 5. Meanwhile, through trusting, you are being protected by God's power for the deliverance ready to be revealed at the last time. Rejoice in this, even though for a little while you may have to experience grief in various trials. Even gold is tested for its genuineness by what? By fire. The purpose of these trials is so that your trust's genuineness which is far more valuable than perishable gold, will be judged worthy of praise and glory and honor at the revealing of Yeshua the Messiah. Also, First uh, Kepha, Peter, chapter 4, verse number 12 and 13. Dear friends, don't regard it as strange, the fiery ordeal occurring among you, to test you, as if something extraordinary were happening to you. Rather, to the extent that you share the fellowship of Messiah's sufferings, rejoice so that you will rejoice even more when his Shekinah, his Shekinah, his glorious presence is being revealed. Next, perseverance does not require us to resign ourselves to whatever happens, but to have a tough resolve or brave endurance in adverse circumstances. Trials and tests produces durability as well as maturity. Do you desire to mature as saints and Messiah? Then you must endure trials and tests so that your trust in Messiah and your faith in Messiah is proven first to yourselves and those who are watching. And lastly, hear this portion. Mature means to be fully, completely developed. Complete refers to the whole being. Without trials and tests, Messianic believers, both Jews and Gentiles, cannot develop to maturity or wholeness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so now, as you see our world changing, and we hear our President of the United States declaring that people of faith and trust are now the enemies of the state, it's like we're living yet again in Roman times. And we as believers are not to fear. Because in the midst of that calamity, in the midst of that, that testing, the spirit of the living God comes upon us and gives us pr provision 
that we will not lose our minds and will endure until the end. To the glory of God the Father, through his son Yeshua, being empowered and equipped by the Ruach HaKodesh. We're in a spiritual war against principalities and powers of this earth. And the Lord Yeshua wants us to walk in victory in Messiah. And when we see fellow neighbors, fellow citizens of our nation persecuting us, we are to intercede and pray for them to come to a saving faith in Messiah. If you ever, ever want to read an excellent book by Richard Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ. I encourage every believer to read that book. Here was a Lutheran pastor who was also Jewish, endured imprisonment and ungodly torture and was able to produce the fragrance of Messiah to the guards that were inflicting this upon them, on himself and to his wife. We have nothing to fear. Praise be unto God. Shabbat shalom.